Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I want to talk to you on the subject of complaining. Seems to be very appropriate, doesn't it? Everybody's like, whoa. I didn't know, so buckle up, buttercup, here we go. <laughs> it's obvious to most of us that we live in a society of discontented complainers, a society where people are unhappy and unhappiness is increasing, a society where people are seldom satisfied. And that has produced a very interesting reality to think that we live in the most affluent and indulged society on the face of the earth, and yet we are increasingly an unhappy people. According to the World Happiness Report, which is a global collaborative survey that ranks the earth's happiest and unhappiest inhabitants, the people of the United States have become increasingly unhappy. In the first year that the report was published in 2012, the U.S. came in at 11th, but the most recent survey puts us eight rungs down the ladder to the 19th position. How is it that a people who live in what is the most affluent nation on earth, a nation that has as its charter a dedication to the pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. How is it that a land like that and a people like that are unhappy? I have a theory that the more people have, the more they complain. That the nature of our complaining is not related so much to a lack of necessities as it is to an unrecognized abundance of blessing. Complaining. People complain about their job. They complain about their friends. They complain about their house. They complain about their car. They complain about their clothes. They complain about food. They complain about service at restaurants. They complain about prices. They complain about the government. They complain about traffic. And heaven forbid, some even complain about the church. I know none of you do, but I'm just mentioning that. And yet, if the truth were known, Few sins are uglier to God than the sin of complaining. That's why a message like this is so needful to help us really recalibrate our spiritual compass. So I'd like if you have a Bible to turn with me to Philippians 2 or on your iPhone. Certainly if you have the James River app, it'll help you to follow along because we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. We're going to start in Philippians and we're going to go into the Old Testament. And I want us to see primarily three areas. The first area is the command against complaining. It's very straightforward. Philippians 2 verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Pretty comprehensive. Everything. Do it without complaining. The word complaining is a, a, the Greek word Ganguzmas, and it's an onomatopoeic word which essentially means it sounds in the Greek like it means. 
Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas. When you're complaining, Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas, Gone Guzmas, Gar, 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 gar. And without arguing, and what's interesting, it's really a, a, not a good translation because that word appears 14 times in the New Testament. 11 times it has to do with evil thinking. In other words, you're not only complaining on the outside, you're complaining on the inside. You not only have it going on with your mouth, you have it going on in your heart, in your mind. You, you may not even say half the things you're complaining about on the outside, but you certainly are thinking them on the inside, complaining. Paul says, do everything without complaining or without evil thinking or self-centered thinking. Don't complain about your circumstances. Don't complain about your finances. Don't complain about your family. You're going home to say, family, don't complain. Don't complain about your friends. Don't complain about the food. Don't complain about your home. Don't complain about your health. Don't complain about your car. Don't complain about the cost of things. The command is really clear. Stop complaining. Why? Look at what he says in verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure. It affects your holiness. It affects your purity. It's almost as if complaining, as we'll see in a moment, is a gateway to other sin in, the, in your life. It opens the door for a lot of things to happen that essentially lead us down a sinful path. He says, so that you might become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Warped, um, the word there, we get our word scoliosis from it, a curved generation, a, a generation that's not straight, a generation that's, that's out of balance, that that is crooked and actually perverse there. The way the NIV uses it, it kind of twists the, the Greek construction. Perverse, it's a wicked generation. Then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky. Here, here's the thing. It's almost impossible for you to witness on the wonderful Christian life if you're grr, 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 grr. If you're complaining. I mean, if you think about it, complain next time to the server at the restaurant about their service and the food, and then follow that up with trying to witness to them. It doesn't work. Complain about how your life's going, and then try to tell somebody how wonderful it is to serve God. It doesn't work. It's incongruous. This is what Paul's saying. It completely debilitates your witness. Which leads me to the second area, and I want to spend really the balance of our time here because I don't think most people have thought through the damnable effect that complaining has on our life spiritually. So I want to look at the consequences of complaining. You see, the fact of the matter is, that while we all, when we talk about it, we're like, ooh, complaining. For most people personally, it's not that big a deal. Some people kind of view it as a way of life, a way to blow off steam, 
a way to make us feel better. Oh, now I got it off my chest and I feel so much better. Even some professional counselors think complaining is a good thing. Psychology Today featured an article article entitled The Value of Complaining. There was a follow-up blog that said complaining is good for you. But if complaining is actually good for you, then why does God command us not to do it in the New Testament? And why did he get very angry with people who did it in the Old Testament? I think it's safe to say, obviously, God knows something about complaining that either we don't or we have forgotten. So let me give you just seven reasons why complaining is bad for you. And I hope you write them down because I I think it's very thought-provoking. I've been thinking about it all week, and it's very convicting. Number one, complaining can become a way of life. Once a person starts complaining, it's very hard to stop. There's almost, if you will, an addictive aspect to complaining that once you get in that habit, it's hard to break. And honestly, for some here today, complaining is the soundtrack of your life. It's all you do. If we told you to stop complaining, you'd have nothing to say. It'd be a verbal fast. What happens, though, is it, it becomes it becomes habitual, and you see this in Scripture. So what we're going to do is we're going to take, and we don't have time to take all the examples I could take out of this, but what I want you to see is we're going to look at the nation of Israel as they come out of Egypt, and Moses is leading them to the promised land, and it is really a beautiful analogy or metaphor of the Christian life, uh, the land of slavery, Egypt, symbolic of sin. We've been delivered from sin, and now we're headed into the, the fulfillment of God's promises in our life. That's Israel. But as they're going, I mean, immediately they start complaining. And they never stop. In fact, it only gets worse because that's what the way it is with complaining. It's addictive. You Once you give into it, once you start, it's really hard to stop. Exodus 15, verse 24. And this is not all the verses on complaining. Then the people complained. Exodus 16, 2. The whole community of Israel complained. Exodus 16, 9. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. Exodus 17, so once more the people complained against Moses. Numbers 11, soon the people began to complain. Numbers 11, 4, and the people of Israel also began to complain, and they complained. Numbers 14, 27, the Lord said, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? What happens is once it starts, it's really hard to stop because what complaining does is it colors your vision, and once you start looking through the lens of complaint, it's what you see, and it's how you see. Number two, complaining distorts our view of reality. I want you to watch this, Exodus chapter 16. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. 
There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Wait a minute. When you were in Egypt, you were slaves. You weren't eating everything you wanted. Your male children were being slaughtered. You had quotas placed on you that were unreasonable for the production of bricks and for building. And when you didn't meet them, you were beaten. But here's what happens. When a person starts complaining, it, it starts distorting everything around them. Once they start looking negatively at one thing, it's easy to look negatively at everything else. And invariably what happens is you begin to think about a, the past in a way that's not accurate, and you think about the future in a way that's not accurate, and you ruin the present, which is all you have, because you're complaining. Third, complaining questions God's care for us and his plan for our lives. Look at it, verse 7, chapter 16. In the morning, you'll see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints, which are against him, not against us. Listen, when you're complaining, you're not complaining about your boss, and you're not complaining about your car, and you're not complaining about your house. You're complaining about God. What you're saying is, you're saying, God, I don't like the way you're ordering my life. I don't like the way you're doing things. God, if, if you were as smart as I am, you would know that it needs to be this way. It's the height of pride. To think somehow we know better than God. To think somehow that a good and a gracious God has somehow left out his goodness in our life, and we're complaining. He says your complaints are against him, not us. What have we done that you should complain about us? And Moses added, the Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Here's what's interesting, because God is merciful, and, and one, of the, one of the cures, if we'll accept it for overcoming complaints, is to once again behold the glory of the Lord. It's very interesting because God hears all these complaints. And so what does God do? In verse 9 of Exodus 16, then Moses said to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he's heard your complaints. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness or the desert, and there they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. Why does God do that? Because there's something about beholding his glory when we really see the enormity and the majesty and the goodness and the splendor of who he is. It gives us an opportunity to reset the values of our heart. This is why I would suggest to you one of the greatest cures for overcoming complaining is to be in the presence of the Lord. To be in the prayer meeting where his glory is obvious, to be in a Sunday morning church where his presence is obvious, to watch online where his presence is obvious. 
There's something about the presence of the Lord and an awareness of his greatness and his awesomeness and who he is. In other words, get your eyes off yourself, get your eyes off the problem, and get your eyes on God, and it will help you to overcome complaining. Invariably, people complain because they've forgotten God. Number four, complaining focuses on what God isn't doing instead of what God is doing. This is, this is a, a critical issue because anytime, and especially in this season, if we find ourselves focusing on what's not happening instead of what is happening, well, that didn't happen, he didn't do this, he didn't heal that, he didn't, and we start thinking along those lines, invariably what happens is that will lead to unbelief. It will weaken your faith. Yet you have to be careful what you're going to look at in life, and you have to be careful who you're around and listening to. Look at it in Numbers 11, verse 4. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites, who's the foreign rabble? What happens is Moses is in Egypt, and he's doing all of these plagues. God is doing them through Moses, and there are people who are either Egyptian or other nationalities, and they're watching this go down, and they're saying, I have never seen anything like this. Moses now is highly respected, and so much so that when the Israelites asked the Egyptians to give them gold, they just dumped the gold. They're like, hey, we're going to give you everything. Just get out of here. And there are foreigners who are like, man, this is quite the thing. And, and uh, they, as they watch them going out, they see a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So the cloud in the desert, you can imagine the cloud is going to be helpful to keep things cooler. And the fire at night is going to keep them warm and they can travel by day or night. It's a very supernatural existence. So there are people always who are, who are attracted to people of God, but they are not people of God themselves. You know that in your own life. There's people that are interested, but they're not really in. The problem with those people is they know enough to get your attention, but they don't know enough to be accurate in what they're saying. And if you're not careful, you're listening to people who don't really know God who are going to turn you against God. And they're going to do it by talking about the things God hasn't done. They're going to talk about, well, you know, how come this hasn't happened? Do you ever wonder why that doesn't happen? You know, that is, once you hear that question, be aware. Because the enemy wants to plant seeds in your heart, in your mind, so that you will join them in questioning what God is doing. This is what happens. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. Actually, in the... NIV, it says they began to crave meat is what they wanted. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Who complains first? The people who don't know God. And so what happens is you hang around people who don't know God, who want to complain. You watch, you hang around, you do life with them, you journey with them through life. You're going to find them influencing you. And they began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. But now all we ever see is this manna. What happens is now they're focusing on what God hasn't done and what he has done no longer 
is awesome to them. Do you know what manna is? Manna is the bread of angels. You know what it says about manna in terms of how it tasted? It tasted like a pastry. Now, I don't know what your diet is like, but I'm just going to tell you, this is like having St. George's Donuts right beside your house, and you have a free lifetime pass. Isn't that glorious? Every day, St. George's Donuts on your doorstep, free. All you have to do is go pick them up, and they're hating on it. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, they're complaining about the bread of angels. Psalm 78 gives us a commentary on this. It says they stubbornly tested God in their hearts, demanding the foods they craved. We put God to the test when we complain about what he has not provided, or we put limits on what we think he can provide. Well, I don't think God could do that. How come God didn't do that? Well, I don't think God does that. And we start pontificating what God hasn't done and what we don't think he can do or will do. And what that does is that kills faith. Some of you have a weakened faith. And I say this as a pastor who wants to see your faith strengthened because you've gotten your eyes on the wrong things and you're listening to the wrong people and you're putting God to the test with all your musings and all your wonderings. Well, I'm not saying I just wonder. Well, you know what? You have to be careful where you let your mind and your mouth go because it's a representative of where your heart's already gone. And giving voice to those kind of things only strengthens their hold on your life. I mean, they're saying God can't do it. Look at this in verse 19. They even spoke against God himself saying, God can't give us food in the wilderness. Yes, he can strike a rock so water gushes out, but he can't give his people bread and meat. I mean, that's a, that's a, I mean, you know what striking the rock is? The rock is a rock in the middle of the desert that opens up and it's a gushing stream that waters 2 million people and their livestock. I'm not talking about, you know, the Finley River Creek, you know, even at flood stage. We're talking about, we're talking about something like a mighty Mississippi coming out of a rock. But you see, once you, once you begin to complain, even the big things of, that God does begin to seem small. Complaining puts us in a place of diminishing God's work in our life until finally we're critical of what he's done and we're doubting concerning what he might do. And faith is lost and unbelief has taken hold. When the Lord heard them, he was furious. This is why judges complaining. This is why complaining really grieves him because it moves people from faith to unbelief like that. And it, it limits his ability to do what he wants to do in every one of our lives, and that's to show his goodness and to demonstrate his power. Number five, complaining fosters unbelief. We've seen that somewhat, but we're going to see it even more here. Numbers 13, 31. But the other men who explored the land, so they send 
leaders from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go in and look at the land, the land of Canaan they're getting ready to take. They come back and 10 of the men say, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. So two, Caleb and, and Joshua say, we can go up and take the land. God is going to help us. 10 say, absolutely not. It's never going to happen. So in chapter 14, what happens is then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Listen, I, I want you to recognize something here. And this is, you know, sometimes we have the idea that if we have the right leader, that that leader's devotion to God, in this case, Moses, I mean, think of this. Moses' face radiates the glory of God. Moses takes that staff, puts it out over the Red Sea, it splits. Moses has been used by God so powerfully and is in the presence of God so much, he reflects God's presence. But even Moses cannot overcome the unbelief of 10 people. I, I, I would just plead with you, if you're going to operate in unbelief, either get a hold of yourself and turn because God wants you to believe or say nothing. 10 people ruined it for 2 million. I mean, this is a shocking reality, if you will. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? See, complaining exaggerates the worst. It, it fears things that are never going to happen. But here's the thing about fear. Once you're not walking by faith, fear is going to be the language that you speak. And the language of fear is complaints. If you're a complainer, it's because, honestly, let me just say, you're not walking by faith. And what happens is you will always find the facts you need to support your fears. The devil will help you. He'll be sure to make those things very real to you. But once you begin to question God's wisdom, his goodness, and his care, unbelief begins to just take over your heart. It's one of the great dangers of complaining. Y'all feeling good so far? <laughs> Hanging with me? <laughs> There's more. <laughs> Number six, complaining gives voice to demonic wisdom. Numbers 14, verse three. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in the battle? Who is, where's that coming from? It's not coming from heaven. Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Where did that come from? It's not coming from an angel, and it's not coming from God, and it's not coming from faith. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Now that's, that's the worst thing that's said there. We're going to go our way, not God's way. Where's that coming from? It's demonic. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader 
and go back to Egypt. Hell itself is animating their voice. Do you realize there's a wisdom that is not godly, that is not spiritual, that is demonic and from the devil? James says it. Look at it. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. When you and I choose to go against the purposes of God, and, and it's called wisdom because you'll have reasons for it. Let me give you an example of, of demonic wisdom. Why are you so angry at them? Well, let me tell you why I'm angry. I'm angry because they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this. You see, Satan will always make sure you have plenty of reasons to continue in your sin. He'll always, he's happy to stoke the fire of anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, envy, jealousy. It's demonic wisdom. And what happens is complaining gives voice to the devil. I mean, you see that. Who, who are the people? Who is that actually talking? It's the devil. Whose voice is he using? The people's. It gives the devil the opportunity to work in your life. I mean, let me ask you this. If God inhabits, we sang it this morning, if God inhabits the praise of his people, then who do you think inhabits our complaints? So you go home and you start complaining. What, what do you think you're filling your home with? It's not the Holy Spirit. And if our praise brings God into the room, who do you think shows up when you're complaining? Number seven. I think this is something most people don't give enough thought to, especially complaining gives voice to things that diminish our future. Watch what happens. Numbers 14. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I'll do to you the very things I heard you say. That's a, that should be a sobering thing to say, what am I, what's coming out of my mouth? Would I be happy if God fulfilled that? Well, I'll bet, you know, the way things are going, I'll just bet, blah, 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 blah. And you've, you're, you're complaining about it, and you're predicting and forecasting the, the negativity. I mean, God says, you know what? If that's where they're at, then let it happen. You'll all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained about me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You'll not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Why? Because they spoke about taking the land. Every one of us creates both our present and future reality by the words we speak. I mean, if you doubt that, I mean, because some people are like, well, that sounds like sorcery to me. Well, it's the way God has set up the universe, frankly. Doesn't have anything to do with sorcery. It just has to do with, here's how this works. When you speak words, they have a creative effect for better or for worse, on your life. You doubt that. Go home and just start talking 
Just start complaining and just start talking ugly and negative and watch what your reality looks like. Watch what your next few hours, your future looks like. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. That's just true. You can either bring life into your situation by praising the Lord, by talking about the good things. Let your speech be full of grace, in the words of Colossians, full of grace and seasoned with salt. Be thankful always. I mean, giving thanks always. Proverbs 12 says this, a very interesting proverb. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. How's a righteous man escape trouble? From the fruit of his lips, a man is filled with good things, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. You know, what you say can set up a reality both now and in the future. You speak words of faith. Listen, what you say in prayer will either change your future. You know, you can, you can pray and change your future for the better. Or you cannot pray and complain and change your future for the worse. Your words, listen to this, I think it's so interesting. Your words have as much effect on your future as your work. You say, well, I work really hard. You could undo that with your mouth. And the fact of the matter is, some things will come into your life by what comes out of your mouth. This is why complaining is such a massive issue, much bigger than people realize. And the consequences are enormous. Let me wrap this up with just kind of a course correction on complaining. You say, wow, now I'm afraid to even talk. <laughs> so what do I do? I'm a constant complainer. How do I deal with it? Well, number one, I, I think you've got to recognize the damage complaining does in your life. Some of you have never really thought it through, and you thought you were just blown off steam, and that was okay, and now you know differently. You know that's not the case. You know that there are enormous consequences to complaining. And honestly, let me just say this. Now, I'm not saying this because I think it's the greatest message I've ever preached. I'm saying it because the content of it is something most people haven't given any thought to. And, you know, when you walk out of these doors, there's, you know, magic erasers on the doors that just kind of wipe your memory clean, and you forget. You're like, he said it was bad. I don't remember why it was bad, but it was bad. <laughs> and that's, I get that, but I would just ask you to review. Hopefully you wrote these seven things down. You can go on our app and get them. Or you can, this message will be out. You'll be able to watch it. Um, you know, on Tuesday, it'll be, it'll be available. But I, I would just challenge you, if you really want to break complaining, you need to really think through the consequences and you need to internalize it and see the damage it's done in your life already because I'm telling you, it already has. And you need to ask yourself, do you want more of the same or do you want something different? Do you want to grow in unbelief in the midst of so much grace in this place, or do you want to grow in faith? I mean, this, this issue is huge on that. And then second, you need to repent of complaining. 
It's a sin. If you're, if you're given to complaining, you don't honestly just have a complaining problem. You have a lordship problem. You think you're in charge. And you think it's about you. And you need to come back to square one. Because when you come to Christ, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You get saved by remembering he's Lord. He's in charge. He's the king. He's the one who rules and reigns. I don't. I work for him. He doesn't work for me and he doesn't work for you. You need to repent. And number three, you need to reshape your response to life. Stop complaining. As I said, for some of you, that's going to feel like a verbal fast. People say, why are you so quiet? I just don't have anything to say. And for those around you, it'll probably be a blessed break. Maybe what you do as a family is you'd have a little jar and you'd say, you know what, a dollar for every complaint. And some of you would be able to go on a huge vacation by Christmas. I'm just teasing you. Somebody said, no, you're not. As followers of Christ, we should be known our patience with people and our praise of the Lord instead of complaining. I close with this, 1 Thessalonians 5. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen.